Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast, your podcast for soccer in America and around the world. I'm your co-host, Pete Douthit, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Filippo Silva, and welcome to the Tactical Yanks podcast. Hopefully you enjoy. We'll be talking about U.S. soccer, European soccer, South American soccer, the World Cup, and much more. Guys, welcome back to the Tactical Yanks podcast. As always, I have Tactical Managers Filippo Silva here with me. How you doing, Tech? Doing good. Are we going to put a full disclaimer of how many times we had to record that intro? We will not. <laughs> <We're gonna> let- <laughs> yes, I have not had my coffee yet. Um, so interesting weekend in Europe. We're going to talk a little bit about some interesting developments more though in the American player pool, talk a little bit about Cade Cowell and rumors about him possibly switching a Gaga Slonina transfer a little bit more on the Jesse Marsh at Leeds situation, some CONCACAF champions league talk and tactical manager. You went to the Mexico Guatemala game last week. How was it? I did it. Uh, we'll talk about it. We'll talk All right. About so it we're going to get into that as well. Uh, what's going on with you these days outside of soccer attack? Not much. Just trying to get my knee back into shape, right? Because of the surgery next year. And I mean, you're trying to get your knee back to shape. So I think we're going through the surgery same. next year too. I got it last year. Last year. Last year. Yeah. You said next year. Uh, no, how no, is it? No, no, is I'm it done. back to normal now or? I mean, I've been kind of sloppy with the recovery with work and everything, so it's not back to normal. But I, I, I look, I'm walking normally. Mm-hmm. I'm being able to go to the gym. So that's all you can ask for, right? A normal life. And hopefully you have your knee back to normal soon. Yeah. I mean, surgery, we're going to have to see. I'm in physical therapy right now, just doing it. I'll have surgery at some point. But more information on that when we have, you know, when I have more information. Um, it was a good weekend for me. Uh, I got to watch a lot more soccer than I did the last few weeks because I'd been so busy. And it was girlfriend allowed you to. Uh, she never says no. <laughs> she knows better than that by now. <laughs> but yeah, no, like the weekend before I was at a wedding and now I'm just, you know, back at it. And it's it's exciting to be back every day that goes by puts us a day closer to Qatar. And that's what, you know, we're building up to this year. So it's exciting. Um, but before we dive into the podcast, As always, we're going to read a review from iTunes, guys. Thank you to everybody who rated and reviewed us on both. um, Well, it's not iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts plus Spotify and anywhere else, Google Podcasts, anywhere else you rated us. We really appreciate it. Um, And you can actually give a review on Apple Podcasts. So this one is from EJLJ, El Puentes Parlor. It says, Vamos. The best crossover since Avengers Endgame. Y'all keep killing it. Well, thank you very much, E-L, E-J-L-J. <laughs> Wait, it's a better crossover than the last Spider-Man movie where they had all three Spider-Mans in the same movie? Hey, spoiler alert. People haven't seen it yet. I apologize. I've watched it, and honestly, the, the movie itself is bad, but the nostalgia moments that it has makes it fun. And I said that on Twitter, and some people got angry. Some people agreed. See, not only not only my soccer takes are polarizing. <laughs> are you <laughs> suggesting that spider the Spider Verse fan base is toxic? Yeah, they're not really open to criticism. Uh oh, maybe we should write an article. 
Yeah, from Brant Brant Ball. But let's start the podcast. Let's start podcast. Yeah, let's get to the podcast. Um, so the first thing I wanted to talk about, Zach, is Cade Cowell. Uh, it news has broken recently. In fact, according to ESPN, this news was broken by some channel, Tactical Manager TV, that I've never heard of. That's why you can't trust mainstream media anymore. Look who they're sourcing. Uh oh, <laughs> this is who they're sourcing, guys. Red alert, warning flag. But that's cool. I mean, it's cool that you got mentioned in an ESPN article. Uh, that's awesome. But the news is that not that he is uh, changing. He's not filing a one-time switch to represent Mexico. He's just obtaining Mexican citizenship. Tack, how is he able to do this? So I didn't really go into details when I asked um, family members of Cade of how it's going on. And they have the documentations, I believe, from uh, grandmother, grandmother's family ties and grandparents. They're able to pull it through. I don't know the exact process, but they got everything in order. And Cade Cowell and Chance Cowell, which is his younger brother that I believe he's 14 or 15 right now, will both be getting the Mexican citizenship. And I think the first thing everyone has to realize is, there's more to getting a passport than playing for the national team, right? There's personal life stuff that sometimes yeah. leads to someone getting that passport, right? There's benefits to having an American passport, Mexican passport, Brazilian, German, anything, okay? Yeah. So for some reason, when that was reported, um, obviously it was reported with the intent of saying he will be available to play for L3, and Cape Cow has left that open as well, right? Yeah. But he's not getting the passport because he wants to play for Mexico right now. That's not what's happening, right? right? That's not what's happening. And and honestly, Cade Cowell wants to play for the United States. Yeah, that's what he wants, right? He's leaving the door open, but that's what he wants. And and again, the the whole thing of getting a passport. Even if I never wanted to play for Mexico, and they gave me the opportunity of getting a Mexican passport, why would I not get it? I would Hell love yeah. to get it. <laughs> so would I. So would I. Yeah. I mean, he's just he is just keeping his options open and, and that's smart move, right? That's a smart move. Have options. You know, you never know when you might need them in soccer or in life. So good for him and good for his family. I'm glad that they're able to do that. There's a bit of a freak out though. Maybe not a huge freak out, but there are concerns from some people that were losing yet another dual nat. What are your thoughts on that? Um, the first thing is we're not losing anyone right now because he's right. not, going to 03 and, and the first thing is he's 18 right now let let him develop let's see how good Cade Cow will become yeah. uh, he's right now he's not in the pool for the U.S. men's national team senior squad neither he is for Mexico but right. he is a U20 player for the United States and he'll play an important role in the tournament we're going to have in June hopefully yeah. he is called up and he will be a key contributor for that and that's where yeah. he is right now and in June he's going to represent us as long as we call him up he's going to represent us I do have one concern though to mention i don't know much personally about chance call right mm -hmm. his younger brother but i've heard from people that work in academies and even people close to him that one main difference between chance cowl and cade cowl is it seems like soccer comes more naturally to chance cowl he's more mm -hmm. technical maybe because he started playing earlier maybe because awesome. he likes the game maybe he's inspired by his brother and he's working more and more in his game right he's seeing his brother playing professionally, scoring goals at such a young age. While Kate Cow, we see him rely more on his athletic ability. Mm. I've seen many talk about how Chance Cow relies more on his technical ability. So mm. now imagine a player that has Kate Cow's genetics that can mm. become that strong, that athletic. 
but with more ability. It, it's a player, and my concern there is, I hope he's also more towards the United States, but I haven't heard anything from Chance Cow himself. Right? right. Regardless, these are two players that, first of all, I'd much rather the United States keep them because you never know how good a player can be, and you don't yeah. want to make your rivals in the region stronger. But we're not losing anyone right now. Please, Let, let's stop yeah. the panic. You're just getting it's, the passport. It's premature. It's definitely yeah. premature. But look for I look forward to seeing Cade at the under-20 CONCACAF championship. I think you know he's versatile enough that he can play in wide areas or he can play as a center forward, as a pure nine. And, uh, you know, he's got pro experience, with which at an under-20 level is very handy, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's been playing as a pro now for two years, maybe three. Um, yeah. So that's good to see. Uh, he's still going to be there, guys. Tack is right. Everyone tranquilo, as they say in Mexico. Uh, moving on to another interesting American prospect, Gabriel Slonina. Uh, there was a report today that he's being watched by both Wolves and Southampton, but that it doesn't matter because he uh, has already signed or is imminently going to sign with a big club in England. Um, do you want to just clarify or qualify that report? Who reported that and why yeah. are they reliable? I want to make sure to give her credit because she has done a great job covering the Gaga Slonina saga with Poland. And she's probably not listening to this. She's a reporter. I believe she's Polish. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, Pete. So I apologize. Her name is Katarzyna Przepiorka. Katarzyna Przepiorka. Okay. okay. I don't know if I said that correctly, but this is what she reported. She said, according to reports in April, Gabriel Sonino was closely watched by Wolverhampton and Southampton. However, according to my sources, and she's been very reliable, it looks like the terms of a transfer with one of the best English clubs has have already been agreed. So it looks like the transfer is done. I mean, let's get the confirmation. I, I believe it's only officially done when we see him with the club jersey, right? Yeah. But she's been fairly reliable. Fabrizio Romano has reported that he was in advanced talks with Chelsea for a six to seven million fee. And that was in March. Yeah. So we don't know how the whole ban situation with Chelsea is right now, right? In terms of transfer. But based off this, when you connect the dots, it kind of seems like Gaga Sonina is going to Chelsea. Is that what it seems like? Uh, it's possible. And uh, whether it's Chelsea or whether it's another English club, to me... I have more thoughts on, on whether or not Gaga Slonina should be leaving MLS right now. For a 17 turning 18-year-old to be getting minutes, uh, you know, every game, playing every game in MLS, which is a decent league, right, at that age is almost unheard of. And everybody goes, but Donnarumma. And I go, yes, that's the outlier. That's the, that's the one guy you bring up, right? Um so it's very unheard of. And I think for his development, he needs to be playing. Now, if he goes to one of those big English clubs, at best, he'll be playing in their under-23 league, which is nowhere near MLS level. Okay? Not even close. And I'm concerned that it could hamper his development rather than staying in Chicago right now, which is really good for him. Um, now, it's possible that he moves to this English club with the clause that he's being loaned back to Chicago for the rest of the season. Let's say it's this summer, and they loan him back for the rest of the season. Um, even then, I think he should stay longer. Like, I would rather he stay in MLS, honestly, for at least three years total. You know, this is only his second season, um, and not even – this is his first full season. And I think for his development, 
he needs to be playing game in, game out, getting, you know, pro players, firing shots at him. You know, it's experience is what he needs. And I'm just concerned that leaving, whatever his reasons are right now, are not good for him unless there's a very clear pathway that is good for his development. You know, not playing in the under-23 under league and not sitting on the bench as the third keeper. So not even sitting on the bench, right? Just training with the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you also take into consideration that he turns 18 in, I think, two weeks from when we're recording this podcast. He turns 18 in May, so this month, yeah. right? If he stays in MLS all the way till the 2026 World Cup, he will still be 22. Yeah. Which for a goalkeeper, it's still almost like pre-professional age, right? They start to really ramp up their professional career. When they're 23, 24, they could start getting minutes. 25, yeah. they really start to pick it up. So, I, look, he's a player that, to me, I am 100% comfortable with him staying in MLS till 2026. Unless a club in Europe in a very top league shows up and, and brings him in to be the starter. But that's not very likely right now. Right. No. They, they like experienced goalkeepers. Goalkeeper is a position also that one mistake can be lethal. So yeah. being experienced and, and calm and knowing how to deal with those situations is key. And maybe going to Europe and making a mistake at such an early age can sometimes be almost career ending, a career yeah. ending quotation mark. Right. Not like his career is over. But what's the name of the goalkeeper from Liverpool from two, three years ago in the Champions League final? Kraus? Remember his name? I don't um, the one pre-Allison, and, and after those mistakes in the final where he even had a concussion, I don't even know what's going on with him right now. Like, his career in Liverpool ended in that final, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, and we've seen Gaga play. There's still a lot in his game that has to improve, and honestly, as we said, he's 18, so you expect that, especially as a goalkeeper. If he's signing with a European club right now, I sure as hell hope they're loaning him back to MLS. Or if, it, let's say it's Chelsea, loan him to a championship team where he starts. Or I don't even think a lot of championship teams would want him as a starter. Probably not. Like Ethan Horvath can't even start. You know, like yeah. why would we think Gaga Slonina is going to start in the championship? I think very few championship clubs are going to say, oh yeah, let's let an 18-year-old American be our number one. I just don't see it. Yeah, it's he's in a situation where honestly, it's probably best to just stay with the fire for the next three to four years, where he's going to be the starter. I, mean, I don't even need that long. If he keeps improving, let's say, then I can see you know by twenty twenty four, maybe summer twenty twenty four, I could see him moving on. That's two three seasons. I mean, that's you know a, a season and a half from now. But yeah, like I don't even need him to stay until twenty twenty six. But I, I would like for him to stay the rest of this season and possibly at least another half season after that because I think he needs that experience. And he needs those minutes. I would say at least until he's 20, I would like to see him stay. I think it's all about also trying to notice maturity, right? It's, yeah. it, it's something to take year by year. Once we notice that he looks like he's a starting goalkeeper for a top club or a top five league club. And yeah. yeah, sure. Like right now, if he was ready to play for a top five league, right? He should at least be the clear number one option for the U.S. men's national team. Or the best keeper in MLS. Yes, or at he least the best keeper in MLS, which he's still not ahead of Matt Turner. He's definitely not ahead of Andre Blake and no. Pedro Galezzi and many others. So, yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, remember, to him signing with a big club in England, he's probably going to make some bank, a lot of money. Yeah. And that could be playing a big role in his decision. And unfortunately, when it comes just to the soccer aspects of this, it's not the best decision. But, but again, if you want to make money, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to be against it for you. If you want to make money, go make money. At some point, we need to have a conversation about uh, agents for young Americans and their role in um, impacting a player's career. Because I think it's so. Gagas Lonina, Pete, has the same agent as Ricardo Pepe. And Ricardo Pepe definitely made the decision of Augsburg because of the money that was offered. I don't think it was because it was the best career choice. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough because Wolfsburg was is a tough place to go as well, right? Wolfsburg was the other suitor, and their track record with Americans is also terrible, right? Look at Kevin Paredes, who's now barely getting minutes there either. Like, and we've seen this with so many other guys before. So it's not, I don't know about Ricardo Pepe. I know it might not have been at least at this moment in time the best decision. We have to see how it works out long term. But I don't know that he had a lot of better options. Well, so but really he was also he was also choosing Wolfsburg because of money. Right. Well, essentially what was happening, happening with Pepe was kind of clear to me. Uh, they were trying to use the hype of the moment that he was scoring for the United States, scoring MLS to try to get a deal quick rather than let's wait. Let's see more during the summer. Maybe more clubs will be interested. The transfer budgets are higher. Uh, yeah. But no, they were trying to build off that hype. It's like, oh, this kid might stop scoring at any moment. So we need to sell now, now, now. Almost like a stock on a bubble, right? The stock's going up on this bubble, bubble, bubble. Sell right now before the bubble pops. And it almost seemed that way, right? They, he, he put like a transfer request to Dallas um, where, I mean, I wanted him to go abroad as soon as possible. Go challenge yourself. But I mean, would it have been the worst thing in the world to wait till the summer, six more months in MLS, wait till the summer and find a better club, a club that actually would fit for him rather than just rush it go and look how horrible these six months have been for him i i hear what you're saying i just don't want to speculate too much about what his reasons were like we don't know what it was really it, it could have been there could have been other factors a desire to push himself maybe you know maybe even greg berhalter encouraged him to go to europe i don't know like it's possible what you're saying makes a lot of sense but it's tough to say for sure because we don't really know what goes on behind the scenes i think yeah but there's a lot of lack of orientation because when a player arrives in Augsburg and says that his dream is to win a Champions League with Augsburg yeah that was yeah right so right there right there alone you see there's a level of either delusion or lack of orientation or you're just straight up lying right you're not going to win a Champions League with Augsburg the best chance you have of winning a title with Augsburg is getting relegated and winning Bundesliga 2 yeah that's probably the best odd you have winning a trophy so I think these young players to a certain extent, they're not very well. The the agents, right? The one experienced one right there that's supposed to guide them through the career. And we can talk about Matthew Hoppy, yeah, right? And many other players. It doesn't seem like the a lot of the agents are making decisions based off what's the best interest of the player. Sometimes it's themselves. And again, I'm, I'm talking right here without mentioning names because I'm not talking about Gaga and Pepe's agent specifically because... I don't know what took into account for their decision. Yeah. But but like you said, there we should open an episode and bring up a lot of like transfers and things that happen with American players and maybe ask the question is, are the American agents here doing a good job or not? Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast maybe uh, for another time. But before we continue, Tack, do you want to read a, uh, a integration from our sponsor? Yes, and it is from DraftKings once again. And thank you, DraftKings, for sponsoring this podcast. And the way you can support the, the podcast here is by downloading DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. That is TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win. 
their game and then you get $150 in free bets if they do. So pretty much DraftKings is sponsoring here and right now they have a lot of bets as the NBA playoffs has been going on. So download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code TBPN. Once again, thank you DraftKings for sponsoring this podcast. Yes, thank you very much to DraftKings. All right, so let's move on to Jesse Marsh at Leeds. Is Leeds in trouble? And the reason we bring this up is because they did lose, right, to Manchester City 4-0 this last weekend after a uh, uninspiring 0-0 draw with Palace. And if you look at the Premier League table right now, they are still precariously close to the bottom. They're in 17th place, albeit on goal difference with Burnley, right? Uh, they have the same amount of points. But, okay, Watford is at the bottom, and so is Norwich. Norwich is already, already relegated. So those two are pretty much down. It's basically between Burnley, Leeds, and Everton for that third spot. Now, Everton was, before yesterday, six points behind Leeds, and then they went and beat Chelsea <laughs> 1-0. So they're now only three points behind Leeds, and they have a game in hand. Now, Jesse Marsh's Leeds also has to play Chelsea and Arsenal in the next four games now the other two games are not as hard they will play Watford who's already down so I'm oh hang on I'm sorry they're not playing Watford they're playing Brentford Brentford and Brighton are their last two games which are you know they're not easy games for sure but you you would think it's possible to win especially Brighton at home but their next two games are away to Arsenal and at home to Chelsea if they lose both of these two games Leeds United and Jesse Marsh could be in real trouble all of a sudden I think they already are, right? Because what's happening right now is you just mentioned they're going to play Arsenal and Chelsea. Arsenal and Chelsea are actually still fighting for a Champions League spot. So they're not going to go easy at all. And these teams are far better. So could he pull a result there? Sure. But if we're going to be very cautious here, we're going to say Leeds United will probably lose those two games. Then right. you look at Everton. Everton will play Leicester, Watford, Brentford, Crystal Palace, and then Arsenal in the last game. All these four games before Arsenal, Everton could win it. I mean, they could. Leicester is a bit of a tougher one, though. I don't think Leicester is a... They're you know, tough, but I mean, they beat Chelsea. Sure, but that's the outlier. If you look at most of Everton's season, it's been pretty poor. So, so I, I, I did you watch Everton and Liverpool? Uh, I did not watch that game, no. They actually played very well. In my opinion, they got a little bit robbed in that game. Liverpool dominated, but Everton had opportunities, and it could have been a draw. It was 2-0. Liverpool dominated possession, had more chances, but there were moments where Everton was dangerous against a Liverpool side that dominates everyone in the league. Before that, Everton also played Leicester, and they tied Leicester. It was 1-1. So the thing with Everton is the team is not that bad. It just had a very messy season. They played Brentford, Watford, Crystal Palace, and then Arsenal in the last game, which Arsenal might be already qualified. Now, Burnley, they have technically an easier schedule here. Uh, the the fact of the matter is um, in past seasons, 34, 35 points was enough to escape relegation, 35 points. Leeds has 34 with four games to play, and they might actually need around 38 points. I think yeah, something around that. Least, I would say. So Jesse just got very unlucky with that too. Uh, he got Leeds in a tough situation. And I mean, I really hope that, Burnley is the one relegated at the end because when they fired Sean Dyke, everyone thought they were done, right? And they Sean were Dyche. Sean Dyche. They fired him, and 
it seemed like a lot of people criticized them saying they shouldn't have done it. And then all of a sudden they, they were reborn. They yeah. were finished and they came back and now they're kind of like in a situation where they only depend upon themselves to escape relegation. Right. I don't know. I don't know, Pete. I, I think Leeds United will escape relegation, but it, so it, be, it became a lot tougher than we expected. If, like, I think two weeks ago, we were even talking about, it's like, oh, it looks like he's fine. He's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that's this game of football, especially at that level. And it's so much drama. You know, relegation is almost almost more exciting than the title race, in my opinion, because of the consequences. Right. Mm -hmm. It's almost more exciting to see who goes down. Can I ask you one question about the Premier League? Sure. So this is one thing I wanted to see in the Premier League. And for example, Liverpool and um, and Manchester City right now, they're one point apart. Yeah. Which means their campaigns are pretty much the same. Right, it's not really fair to say Manchester City was better. It's the same thing. Should there be in certain situations where the title race is so close that they maybe play one final and the team that had the slightly better campaign on one point or go different have a one final match and, and they will host that game the better? That would be so exciting to actually watch a final like that. No, a but it would be Bowl. unfair because you ah. got fifty four points and you go or whatever it is eighty four and eighty three points. And so why should you have the opportunity to just show up and, and win in one game? Like, I think it's totally fine. It's like, yeah, that's, this is football. I mean, this is uh, soccer. Like, yeah. Okay. Maybe in that one game, you are unlucky. You should have scored a goal, which would have gotten you two more points and you didn't, but that's, that's the beauty of this. game. I, I, I don't care about being fair. I just want it to be exciting. That's what yeah. I want. Emotion. Well, like I, the Liverpool, just, like have everybody go play in a knockoff. If you want that, just turn the Premier League into like multiple World Cups where they just knock well, each other it's out. Because, for example, the Championship does this with the third seed, right? Three, four, five. They play that playoff round to qualify. Obviously, the first two qualify directly, and that Championship playoff is like the one of the most watched games in England. It's so exciting. About I, I'm just what I'm suggesting here is. Maybe the Premier League should consider doing something along those lines for something. Maybe, I don't know, a Champions League spot. Something in the end of the season that adds some value to a playoff match, right? Because I know for English people, the FA Cup has a lot of meaning, but I feel like the Premier League, it would benefit from having a one knockout round at the end for some reason, for anything, even if it's a relegation battle something. Yeah, I could see you doing the the 18th spot in I think what Germany does where the uh -huh. third team plays the like the third worst team plays the third best team in the mm -hmm. second division and they play off to you have a chance to stay up. I I like that. Uh as far as for the title goes, I just think bringing it down to one game after you know you've worked so hard for 38 games and then, like, how do you decide? Is it one game? Do you have to be one point off? What if you're two points off? What if you're three? Like, where do you draw the line? Yeah, you would probably just have to say first and second seed will play each other in a playoff match, and the, the number one seed will host the game. So it wouldn't matter. What if point. you get to a situation like we've had in the past where you're 10 points ahead of number two, and now it just comes down to one game? The team would probably rest in the end, so you wouldn't get that big gap. But like still, if you're, you're, you're bringing it down to one game where there is a big gap. Like you're still. I mean, I if you're if your league if your league has teams winning by a gap of ten points or more, you sh they should be concerned with people watching because people tune off too. 
but Tack, this is that. why we have the Champions League. This is why we have the Champions League. It's a like I have no problem with leagues being point based systems, and then when you go to the Champions League, it becomes knockouts, and that makes it interesting and exciting. But like trying to turn everything into a knockout competition just to add more excitement, it, yeah, it but, but look at like it values the, the regular season. But look at La Liga, for example, four games to play. Real Madrid has won the title. The the hell am I supposed to watch that? Well, okay, but then what's the solution? The solution isn't, all right, well, let's just let number two, let's just let Barcelona play Real Madrid because what then they used you don't to have do, to... What they used to do in Brazil, at least, and that's when the audience was actually higher for the league itself, and then they changed it to the European style and people hate it. They prefer the old one was, in Brazil, it used to be one through eight qualified to the playoffs. It's one kind of like American almost, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and then the league title is deciding the playoffs with the one seed against the eight seed, and and you get upsets. It's exciting because I mean, sure, I agree with you one hundred percent that the point based system is the most fair in determining which team was the best team throughout the entire season. There's no question in regards to that. But at the same time, why is playoffs unfair if you're if you're told ahead of time? Why is it unfair? If you're told ahead of time that, look, if you finish first or fourth, you're making the playoffs. And in the playoffs, this is the regulation of how you win. Why is it unfair if they finish first in the points and then they lose after if they knew ahead of time? It's not that it's unfair, quote unquote. Unfair is a very subjective thing. It's that it devalues the regular season, right? Those individual matchups don't become as big issues because all you have to do is hit top four. You don't have to win the title. You just have to hit top four and then try to go on a run late in the season. Like if you hit form at the right time, you might've finished fourth and you might be 17 points behind first, but all you need to do is get hot at the end of the season. To me, that devalues the whole concept of Make it's a, a clausura and pick up points every single week. Because if you drop points even a little bit, there goes your title hopes. It's just weird because these leagues, what happens, and I see this in the Brasileirão so much, uh, it seems like as the year goes on, the emotions on it goes down. Like it's more exciting in the beginning when you're fighting for those points all the time. Liverpool but, and Manchester City are one point apart. Like they're still no, fighting. Right now, yeah. No, right now, it's yeah. Not, it's not decided by any means. It's still right exciting now, yeah. every game. Right now, yes. But usually it's been decided a couple rounds beforehand. And just like I mentioned La Liga, right now it's essentially the Premier League and the Serie A are the two leagues that have a good title race going. The Serie A is actually probably the most exciting one. I was I was even talking about this the other day, how AC Milan and Inter Milan fighting for the Scudetto. I mean, like throwback. Yes, I was like, it, doesn't it remind you of the two thousands? Yeah, it does. When Italy was good, like when the whole Serie A was the probably one of the best. I think at least top two league in the world back in those days. Yeah. Yeah, the two thousands when AC Milan, Inter, and Juventus were made. Roma was good too. Roma was Roma. good. Yeah, even there were other good teams in there like Parma, Lazio. You mm -hmm. know, they had other good teams. But yeah, no, it does. It feels like that again, and it feels like the rivalry has been renewed. No, and, and Pete, that's two years in a row. Last season, Inter Milan won, and AC Milan was second. Now it looks like AC Milan's going to win, and Inter's coming in second. So I, I, when I saw that, and I was like, because I was talking to my dad, and my dad was like. Oh, it looks like AC Milan's gonna finally win the, the Scudetto. I'm like, what? And then I was like, I haven't been following the Serie A that close. I've been looking more at the relegation battle because Venezia is pretty much yeah. down now. And then when I saw it, I was like, that's so cool. It looks like they're slowly coming back. And I hope they get that continental success back with it eventually. 
Yeah. And I hope that it becomes like a top four race again. Like, you know, Roma is there or thereabouts. I think they're in fourth or fifth right now with Jose Mourinho. Napoli's uh, in fourth. Yeah. And then I mean, Napoli's in fourth and Roma's in fifth. So if those five teams could be competitive, now the Serie A will be exciting again where you don't have just Juve winning every year. You know? So it's AC Milan, Inter Milan, Napoli, Juventus, Lazio, and Roma. Yeah, it's starting to look a lot like the 2000s again. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's fun. I like it. I like it. It's good to see. And hopefully they start producing in Europe because Italian clubs need to pick their act up in Europe. But that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, let's move on. You went to the Mexico-Guatemala game um, just to enjoy, to have a good time. I saw you made a blog. Guys, you can check out his blog on his channel. His vlog, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. His vlog on the channel about his experience. I always like those. They're cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any thoughts? I know that you saw Jonathan Gomez. He only got, what, five minutes? Yeah, he came in towards, I think, the 83rd, 84th minute. Came in so about the same the as when we played him against Bosnia. Yeah, just wasn't as effective, right? He got us the goal pretty much there. Yeah. Against Mexico, he got a couple touches, but besides that, nothing. Looked pretty comfortable with the, the teammates and everything. Besides that, I don't have much to say about um, Jogo in that game. Now, Mexico did tie Guatemala 0-0, which is a horrible result. Uh, there were 40,000 Mexicans in the stadium. There was a few Guatemalan fans, but mostly Mexican. And this was Mexico's C team or so. A couple guys prospects. Was it young guys or was it like just depth? It was a mix. Like Aguije was the left back. Um, Santiago Jimenez or Jimenez, right? The Argentine Mexican was playing up top. Um, I think, was it Rodriguez was there? Charlie, no, not Charlie Rodriguez. Um, Sebastian Cordova, I think, was there. So there's a couple guys that show up in their reserve squad from time to time. And Acevedo was the goalkeeper. And then Marcelo Floyd. No David Ochoa, huh? He was stuck on the bench. He stayed on the bench the whole time. That don't even get me started with him. I don't know why he picked Mac. He should have just waited. He shouldn't have picked any team. No team wanted him. He should have just waited. Yeah. There was no rush. There was no rush. Yeah. Marcelo Flores came in, and, and this is the one thing about Marcelo Flores that I noticed that Mexico fans need to realize. There's absolutely no way this kid is ready to play for their senior squad. There's no way, right? And this is not me questioning Marcelo Flores' potential, but I do question his current ability. Yeah. His cor- current okay. ability is very questionable. And I mean, he's playing in the reserve league in England, right? He's not yeah, even the U- U- first team. Yeah, he's playing in the same league that Fullerton Balogun was tearing it up. And then yeah. Balogun went to Middlesbrough, and he's a backup in Middlesbrough now in the championship. Right. So I think Mexico fans are just like – because they don't have many prospects right now, which is just true. Yeah. They're hyping this kid up. And I think his dad has done a great job in hyping him up and trying to get like, this kid is saying that he'll pick Mexico. If they call him for the world cups, like dude, you don't have, prof- you barely have professional minutes. I think what they're saying, what he's saying is uh, Canada. If you take me to the world cup, I might switch. Right. But even Canada, I mean, look at their depth on, especially he's a winger, right? He's like a wide player. Yeah, he can probably play as a 10. He can play as a 10. Right. But even Canada, if you look at, you know, Tejon Buchanan, obviously Alfonso Davies, uh, you still have, you know, strikers that play. If you play two strikers up top, that limits the amount of roles. Really, you're playing with wingbacks now. You're not playing with pure wingers. So I don't even know that he would get that many minutes for Canada, to be honest. Well, with Canada's current team, he would not make the roster unless they did it just to cap tie him. Any team that's in the World Cup to call a kid that's playing the U23s, even his shot is still weak. He was attacking exactly where I was sitting. 
his crosses are still weak. It's still a youth academy player cross. Mm. He's not strong. He can get bodied very easily. Any team, professional team, that calls him up to a World Cup is doing just to cap tie him. And, and look, if they believe in his potential and think that's worth it, fine. Yeah. Go for it. But don't act like he's ready to have an impact in the World Cup. That's not going to happen. Okay. Was there anybody else that impressed you in that Mexico game? Um, their fans, I mean, showing up 40,000 for a game in Orlando against Guatemala is quite yeah. kind of impressed. Now, players know it's horrible. They tied 0-0 of Guatemala, so yeah. it was horrible. Um, what do you think about the whole issue right now with fans in Mexico almost never get to watch their team play <laughs> unless it's a World Cup qualifier? Every non-competitive, even competitive games, because the Gold Cup and Nations League, they end up playing in the U.S., right? And even all their friendlies, because of their deal with some, all those friendlies are in the United States. If you're a Mexico fan living in Mexico, shouldn't it, like, do you think it hurts them that they don't ever get to see their national team play? I mean, it would hurt us, right? We're bothered by the U.S. only playing in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so if the, imagine the U.S. playing every game in Mexico. We would be complaining about it every day. We're like, dude, we kind of want to watch you. Yeah. So, I mean, it should. It's all because of that some friendly agreement, right? To, yeah, to make it's, money. It's, it's, it's profit. It's profit. It's when you prioritize profit over the game, over the fans, right? Oh, you guys don't pay as much as the American Mexican fans will pay. So we're going to put all of our games in the U.S., right? You My alienate opinion. your fans that way. You, I know there are a lot of fans in, in you know Mexico right now that are just like, fuck it. I'm not going to give a shit anymore because... These guys like they don't get they don't care about us. All they want to do is make money, play exhibition games in the US to get money. The federation, so if it's a club doing friendlies in the US, a Mexican club, I'm fine with that because the club's goal has to be to make money, invest in the club, get better, win titles. The federation's goal has to be the fans, the the game, right? Yeah, in the country. Growth of the game in your country. Yes. And and probably the money they're making. It's probably not going back to soccer in Mexico. <laughs> so no, that's always the excuse they use. They go, in order to grow the game, we need to make money. And it's just like becomes this catchphrase to justify profiteering over the game. And it's not even true. It's like you can still grow the game with a little bit less money because you'd be prioritizing the fans, the, the actual fans. And I'm not saying Mexican-American fans aren't fans. I'm not even against them playing some friendlies in the U.S. I understand that. But every single one, that's like spitting in the face of the fans in Mexico and saying, no, you, don't, you know, you're, you're not going to give us the same dollars that, that we get in the U.S., so screw you. No, adding to what you said, I think they do need to play some friendlies in the U.S. because there is a lot of Mexican-American fans here that they need to appeal to, get sure. them to still stay, feel connected to the team, and make yeah. money too. Sure, go make money. But like you said, like every single game in the U.S., it's just them spitting in the Mexico fans' face, essentially. Yeah. The ones that live in Mexico. It's it's a little bit also, ridiculous. If you play all the Gold Cup and Nations Leagues, you know, Nations League final, uh, semi-final, all the Gold Cup, it's always played in the U.S. They get plenty of opportunities for Mexico fans in the U.S. to see Mexico play. Uh, you don't need to organize six, seven, eight friendlies a year in the U.S. and just ignore your, you know, this huge, beautiful country of Mexico with all your fans. They play in a bigger diversity of of states than the, U.S. the U.S. national team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, play. we have our own problems. We are the Ohio MNT. <laughs> yeah, we're already complaining because we play only in Ohio. But <laughs> Ohio, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that another time. But 
All right. Um, the last thing we're going to get into is the CONCACAF Champions League final. I watched the last game. It was a snooze fest. It was terrible. The weather Even was Even though bad. it was 2-2? It really? was 2-2, but the game itself was just nobody wanted to do anything with the ball. It was very slow. Lots of sloppy giveaways. It was like watching a tennis match. The ball just going back and forth. Very few meaningful you know, chances created on either side. Very few like interesting patterns of play or good tactics. It was a game pretty much where the referee was the star. He gave three penalties, had one penalty retaken. I think he wanted to be the star on the night. He was, you know, um, it was pretty even, I would say. And for Seattle, it was a great result. So mm-hmm. two, two away in Mexico. And it didn't look like that, you know, after it was two nil, I was like, all right, well, it's over. We're not winning this, but you know, they got the first penalty, which was absolutely a penalty, right? Not the Mexico one. Okay. The one that uh, Pumas got, in my opinion, not a penalty. All right. And then he saved it and the referee made him retake it because he was off his line, which by the letter of the law, that's fair. Okay. He was off of his line by about a foot, but I see that happen all the time and they don't call it. So I don't know whether to praise the referee for upholding the rule or to uh, criticize him for being too letter of the law about it. I mean, too He's mind. too uptight, right? Too uptight. Very uptight. And also just the way that, I don't remember his name, but the way he does everything, he, he's one of those, you don't want the referee to be the star of the game, right? If that's the situation, and he loves being the star of the game. Like, he's the same guy who in the Panama game uh, gave Pulisic that yellow card. Do you remember that incident? Oh, the little fight? And he holds the yellow card up, so and he just oh, holds yeah. it there for like thirty seconds. Even Pulisic was like, "How long are you going to hold this card up for?" Like, he's, it was disappointing that he became the sort of the center focus of the game. Um, but then Seattle did in the second half, almost out of nowhere, win a penalty, right? Which I think was a very fair penalty, uh, a very clear handball. The second one, in my opinion, was not a penalty. I don't know if you saw it. The foul on Roldan, he did kind of kick him. Uh, but Roldan deserves an Oscar for his reaction because it was he was rolling on the ground Neymar style. And to his credit, oh yeah, yeah, that worked. was at the 90, 95th minute or so. Yeah, the ninety fifth yeah, minute. Yeah, yeah. Did you see that penalty? Yeah. Did you think it was a penalty? <sighs> it, it's it's called a soft penalty. Very soft. A soft, very penalty. soft. But I don't mind it because it sort of evens out the other penalty that Pumas mm-hmm. got, which I don't think was a penalty either. So I think. In the at the end, a draw was probably a fair result. And now advantage Seattle, right? They're gonna be at home and there's no away goal rules, unfortunately. Otherwise, that would be huge for Seattle mm-hmm. with two away goals. But now, I mean, they have a good shot. They're at home and they don't have a deficit to make up. In the past, you know, you saw MLS teams having to come home now with a deficit. There's no deficit, it's a free open game, right? They can draw and go to penalties or win, and that's all they have to do, win by one goal. It's almost like a one-off final, right? A draw yeah. is, goes to penalty kicks, and they're going to play at home, and they're going to break the CCL attendance record this final. Wow. Do you know how many they're supposed to have? Well, I think Lumen Field is going to be completely packed. What's the attendance there? 60,000, I think? I think it's higher. I, I can check here. Higher. Let me look it up. You can look it up here. Lumen Field, the, the attendance there is um, 72,000. 72. So I wonder, I wonder if they're going to put that much. I would not be surprised. Seattle fans tend to show up, and especially for big games. So yeah. I think they will. I, you know, this is huge for MLS, right? This is the chance for us to finally win CCL. My only concern is Grant Wall tweeted that he's going to the game. I feel like he might jinx the counter. 
<laughs> don't bring your bad juju. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, but I mean, look, it was a rough game. And um, obviously there are concerns, but Seattle has proven at home to be pretty strong. So I'm looking for, and they rested this weekend. Pumas did not rest. Pumas played a game. Uh, Seattle rested. So that could work in Seattle's favor. Guys, you know, Filippo will be doing the live watch along. I'll probably try to join in for at least part of it because this is a historic moment, potentially a historic moment for MLS. How disappointing would it be if we fail again? That'll be the third final in five years that we lose at. I think then we we just kind of like give up for a few years. Don't even play the CCL. (laughs) Win the League's Cup. There you go. We have League's Cup. That's the next best thing. No, but also they did lose Alan Mozo, who's one of their best players to injury um, in that game. So, as you know, it sucks for him. It looks like he did something to his knee. I don't know what the report is, how bad it is, but I don't imagine he'll be involved in this game. He was carried out on a stretcher. Um, so that's actually works in Seattle's favor right now, in my opinion. They've just got to find a way to keep Dinamo quiet and to create actual chances in the attacking third, which I think they will. Uh, do you have a prediction for that game? Look, I'm I'm just going to say I want MLS to win this because we need to go to the FIFA Club World Cup, and I'm not going to give a prediction. <sighs> Should I just give my honest prediction? Sure. I said it. This Pumas team is probably the worst Liga Mekis team I've ever seen make it to a final, and the Sounders are one of the most complete. It's a very strong MLS team. Not that maybe the strongest. I'm not sure about that, but yeah. one of. It's a very strong Definitely. team. Definitely. <sighs> I don't know why I have them. I have a feeling they're going to lose on PKs. Really? See, I have them going to PKs also, but Seattle winning. Because Stefan Fry likes PKs. I know, but MLS loves to lose on PKs. (laughs) (laughs) That would still be the closest we ever got. We got to extra time in 2018. Toronto lost 3-2. And then they lost 1-0 in normal time. I believe it was 1-0. Maybe it was 2-0. LAFC to Tigres. I think it was 1-0. So even no, wasn't it, it was 2 1. It was 2 1. I think it was 2 1. Was it 2 1? My bad. Maybe they scored. I believe, yeah. I believe they, I think Diego Rossi scored that game. I think it's very possible. I, How, yeah. I watched that game. How do I not remember? I thought Diego Rossi scored a goal for, for LAFC when they played TV. Yeah, you're right. It was 2 1, and Diego Rossi did score. Yeah, I, I remember that game. Up, sort of. <laughs> How did you remember yeah. more than me? I, right, I did yeah, a live stream for it. I did a live stream for it. I remember oh, that's that. why. Okay. I watched yeah. it on the road. I was traveling and I dove into a motel room to watch it. And I've only caught the second half, but yeah. So let's see how we go guys. I, I think anybody who's not a Portland fan is going to have to be rooting for Seattle this weekend. I mean, or this midweek, this Wednesday, it is Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. May the 4th. Wednesday, may the 4th be with you. I think we will finally win. Um, I hope so. I hope so. Anything else before we close this episode? No, that's all. That's all, everyone. Um, we I know we promised that eventually we would pick it up and do two podcasts a week, and we will eventually. We just haven't had time. Uh, maybe as the World Cup approaches, we will. We will have some time off during the summer in July, a little bit to rest up. June is going to be overly busy in the channels, but yeah. we promise eventually we'll ramp it up to twice a week. Before 2035, we promise. <laughs> we before 2030. Before 2030. Yes, certainly before 2030. All right. Thanks for listening as always, guys. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Um, Check out DraftKings. Thanks to them for sponsoring this episode. Tack, thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you guys next week. Mm